This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Apparently it was Friedrich Nietzsche who said, without music, life would be a mistake. But do you know the importance of music on your baby's developing brain? Research into the latest learnings has shown that music is an integral part of developing speech and it even has a knock-on effect on almost every part of your child's learning. You'd think we'd have it all figured out these days, what with iTunes, Spotify, more music at our fingertips than ever before. Like everything with this field, it's about having variety, so musical variety, just like having a variety of foods to eat keeps us healthy, having a variety of music that we listen to and we're exposed to keeps our brain healthy. But it's the music of voices, and particularly our family voices, that are the most important for our baby. Dr Anita Collins is a neuromusical educator. She's also adjunct professor at the University of Canberra and a visiting fellow at the University of Melbourne, researching brain development and music learning. Now, today she's here to give us some wild and wonderful encouragement to bring music into our lives during those really important developing years for your baby. Now, Anita, I understand this music all starts with hearing, which is the only sense that is fully formed in a newborn baby. It comes absolutely in from day one and even possibly before day one. We know that kids can hear music for the last trimester as well. They can hear sounds. We're not sure how they interpret them, but we know they're there. And we also know that babies will hear their mother's voices as if they're music when they first hear them even a couple of hours after birth. So music's there right from the beginning and it's actually a foundation for so many things that kids sort of develop from this day one to about three or four years of age. Fantastic. And I understand that hearing is the very first sense and it's the most acute sense that a baby's born with. Yeah, it's the, it's the most developed and it's, it's the, I like to call it the largest information gathering sense. So it takes in, we now understand, the most information from around us, particularly when babies are young. And it kind of makes sense. They can't really see perfectly well. They can't move with intention. Taste and smell are really, really underdeveloped because they sort of haven't had all the tastes and the smells. But their hearing's very, very good. And that's the sense that they rely on right at the beginning of life to identify all sorts of things in their world, including people, but also where they are and, and all sorts of things. So we're really starting to understand how important hearing and all Auditory processing is the important process in the brain that really informs babies and helps them to understand their world right from the start. Obviously, the medical profession thinks that it's quite important because our babies do get tested for their hearing while they're still just a couple of hours old in hospital. Yeah, absolutely. We, we all go through that process of having the baby's hearing tested and learning that one ear is always stronger than the other. And a really important thing, but I think that's to check the sense. What I'm picking up from the research is that it's the processing of sound that is really, really important from that point onwards. We have in the West a really strictly defined definition of music, but in your role, relate to music as something quite different. Our definition of music is really narrow and it's it's all about it's constructed and it's sound and silence in a certain kind of way and we go, yes, that's music and all the rest of it is sound. But if we take away those definitions and think of what a baby experiences they experience every sound as if it is music and what that means is they're taking it apart 
for its rhythmic characteristics, its melodic characteristics, its tone colour, the sort of quality of the sound. And the way I always think about it is when they're trying to identify people. So they know what mum or dad or their carer's voice sounds like. They know the kind of elements of that. And then when they're with someone they don't know, they stare like crazy at their faces, both to pick up facial expressions, but also to kind of register, who are you? What's, what's your voice like? And how do I identify you? And how do you fit into the, the bigger scheme of things? Even just with voice definition, it's, it's really important. And we now also know that babies use their music processing networks, which are present at birth, to start one of the most important processes for a human, which is to separate out speech sounds from all the other sounds around them. And as soon as they separate them out for what their musical elements are, then they start to be able to speak and to, to figure out how language actually works and then understand language. So it's, it's kind of like music sits at the very start of life and the very core. And from that, we learn about who's around us, what's around us, but also how to communicate. So it's fundamental to every single human being. And is, is that the reason that we talk to babies that we don't know and probably our own is like, oh, you're such a little cutie. Lady. It's like singing almost in a weird way. It, it, well, that's the thing and that's what gets me is that it's called, it's got a name, that kind of speech where you infuse it with an enormous amount of positive emotion. It's called either motherese or parentese. And then when I started to watch people doing it and seeing myself do it, it's like I am almost singing and why is that? And we now understand that singing is kind of our first language in a way. We sing our language rather than say our language, which is why you get that beautiful time when kids are about three and they've got that sort of sing-songy language when they speak. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's in action, watching them come from speech being music to speech moving into what we know as sort of spoken language. There's so much that we do naturally that we can start to understand how music is part of that. We've learnt a lot about how that sort of musical processing works in people's brains, often with people who've had difficulties. Like mm. I've heard people that have a terrible stutter, if they're singing, they don't have their stutter. Or people with dementia can remember songs, but they can't remember somebody that they love so much. It's because music... And music processing sits in the oldest part of our brain. It's really funny. Our brain is different ages, meaning it's developed over time. So from an evolutionary perspective and we music sits and we're not quite exactly sure where it is, but music sits in the, the oldest part, the original part, if anything. So we had music before we had language in terms of rhythm and melody of the way that we spoke and the way we communicated. And that's why a lot of this research I love because it's not telling us to do things differently. It's explaining things that we've never really, we've known that have worked, like the ones you mentioned, also people who've had traumatic brain injury and have lost speech and they gain it back again through singing first and then moving into speech. It's explaining why those things work and that's what I think is, is absolutely worth sharing is that greater understanding of how music sits with all of us and explains so much of what it is to be human and to learn. It's kind of like you can't remember what you had for lunch yesterday, but you can remember a song from when you were eight. <laughs> That's true. I think a lot of parents who don't think that they're particularly musical would spend quite a bit of time singing to their children. I mean, even though you possibly don't admit it or don't recognise that you do. That's one of the interesting things to me is that we have this idea of being a good and a bad singer and most of us would say we're bad singers. And 
when it comes to babies, they, they have no good or bad. They just have this connection with you and they get that connection the fastest way possible through your singing to them. And there's some great research about settling babies and they, they sort of looked at if it's better to hold the baby and sing to them, if it's better just to rock them or it's better to put them in their cot and sing to them. And they found that babies settled a lot faster if they were put in their cot but they were sung to. So that's sort of the power of what it is. They don't, babies don't care what your voice is. You're their favourite rock star and you're the one that they, they want to hear. So I think we need to, we can start thinking about singing to our babies very differently and understand the many things that it does for them and for us. I did a really great interview a couple of years ago about a, a lullaby project. A musician helped families write their babies' yeah. lullaby, yeah. which is just a, such a, a gorgeous thing. And I guess lullabies serve such a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the project you're talking about, I got to talk a lot with the group originally who did it in Carnegie Hall in the US and then with the group doing it here in Australia. So it's a beautiful way of of helping connect with your baby but also connect with we've kind of lost our nursery rhymes a little bit and we've lost our comfort in being able to sing a lullaby and a lullaby could be about anything it could be about the footy scores but it's about how we sing to our baby and how we communicate with them and and it's a really important time and I think I'm very passionate not only about mothers singing but very much fathers singing to their children as well and being comfortable with that and for for all of us around to be supportive of that as well it's such an important thing to do loved a quote you had in the book about not outsourcing music (laughs) to the wiggles or whoever you know whichever group it is that it's your right as a parent to sing to your baby we have so many i mean the wiggles are great and i particularly love the wiggles because they're all they're trained in education so they really understand the foundations of what they're doing but just like everything with this field, it's about having variety. So musical variety, just like having a variety of foods to eat keeps us healthy, having a variety of music that we listen to and we're exposed to keeps our brain healthy. It should be anything from singing in the family, singing in the the family unit as well, to having things that are on the TV, but having that mixing, mixing it up all the time rather than having the same wiggle song on the radio or on the stereo every single time you drive to daycare. That's just, that's that's too much. <laughs> we need variety. One of the things that I really noticed is my son did start off being quite flat, not quite mm. hitting the notes, but yeah. now is actually quite good at hitting the notes. Is that something that develops with age, with children? Absolutely. And it can take, if you've got a group of kindergarten kids and you're trying to get them to sing in tune or at pitch, whichever way you like to refer to it, you'd never get them to do it because their auditory processing is not quite there yet. But what they need is a huge amount of exposure to what the sound is like. And it's just, and it's a wonderful thing. It, just one day a kid who hasn't been able to get it for two or three or four years in choir will suddenly be singing a pitch. And it's because all of these connections have come together and synchronised so that they can actually do that. So it's a really long journey to sing in tune. And I like to say to parents, learning to sing in tune is a learnt skill we learn it we aren't given it <laughs> it's not automatic it's actually something we learn and as soon as you say that they go oh so I can practice it it's like yes you can practice it and you'll sing in tune so will your child we have a few myths and a few beliefs around music and music learning that I think this research can start to challenge which I'm really excited about 
Music is more than sending your child off at an early age to, say, Suzuki violin lessons. But how do you incorporate it in those really early years? What are your favourite ways of keeping that part of your child's brain alive and thriving? One of the things is, particularly in those first couple of years of life, it's actually not hard work at all because kids are... I have a lot of parents come up to me and say, my child is so musical, they just keep singing and I keep saying... They're not really musical, they're just human and this is what kids do. They're really connected with music and they have no inhibitions about it and they use it all the time. So in many cases it's just noticing when it's happening and either joining in or or just actively listening to them, so when it's singing and things like that. I also think if we broaden our idea to what a musical instrument is, at the age of two it's pots and pans on the kitchen floor it's rattles and it's all sorts of other things so it's exploring sound but one of the most important ones is beat keeping and it literally is as simple as having a song or singing and then clapping along with it and that beat keeping activity is so important for children's development because through the act of keeping a beat which is just clapping along to the beat of the music We know that the eyes, the ears and the body, so auditory, visual and motor cortices are working super hard to just do that, what looks like a really simple activity, but for kids it's very, very hard to do. But once all those things kind of fall into place, we also know that it's a connectivity in the brain that leads to the next big steps in learning, like social interactions and even reading when they get to kindergarten. So very, very important things and so simple cheap and easy, just keep a beat, clap along all the time and just watch as your little one tries to follow you and they'll follow with your eyes first and then they'll start to follow you with their ears as well and it's just a simple, easy thing you can do and so much fun. That's so interesting because music in schools or music as part of the formal curriculum is often the poor cousin, the first thing to go. It sounds like it should be much higher on our priority list, not perhaps the formal side of things, but music as a whole should be more of a priority. I would like to see it better understood. I think in many cases we think of it as that extra on the end or that having fun or wherever you think about it. And a lot of that comes from our own personal experience with music as well. I would really love to see the general understanding of music for kids as a developmental tool as well as for a tool that creates joy and and relieves stress as being something that we understand a little bit better and that's that's the whole reason for the book is to try and help everybody understand what it is they're observing what might be going on inside the child's brain as from the behavior we're observing and then understanding how that develops them so yeah that's that's what I'd love to see. Anita, you had your own experience as a child and with a learning difficulty. Are you able to talk about how music helped you through that? It took a long time for me to figure it out because when you're a child and you're doing something, you only have your own experience to go by. I knew that I was struggling a bit just with written language. I just, I I couldn't remember what the word sounded like in my head. I really struggled with reading out loud was like a really frightening experience for me and I hated doing it in school. And I had, it was doubly worse because my mum was a reading, remedial reading or reading recovery teacher, meaning she helped kids with reading problems. And here she was with her own firstborn child going, I don't know how to help this child. And I got very good, I got very good at speaking and being verbal and talking a lot and misdirection. And I also got really good at picking up signals from other people about what the answers were when I was reading something. But something happened when I was nine, I was given the opportunity to learn the clarinet 
more to that, I was given the opportunity to learn how to read music. And reading music is a symbol to sound system, meaning you see a symbol on a page, you hear the sound in your head, you make that sound out of the instrument and then you check the sound you've made back in your ear again. It goes really fast. I've now come to understand that that is exactly the same neural pathway that we do with language reading. And so about six months after I started learning how to read music and playing the clarinet, I remember that my reading became easier. And I think through all of my study, I'm trying to answer the question of did music learning change and assist me with that? Because honestly, if I hadn't had that experience, I don't know quite where my life would be now if I still was struggling with reading all the way through school. It's just such an interesting connection and I've asked lots of researchers and they've said, oh, you know, yes, it's possible that that's the connection that helps you out and that continues to help you to connect sound to symbol. I'm wondering if there's a role for music with other difficulties that, that children have in their lives. I mean, obviously... It worked for your form of dyslexia or whatever, or whatever the processing it was, yeah. it was. What about things like autism or yeah. developmental delays? How does music processing function for yeah. children? Well, the- there's been a huge amount of research into autism, ADHD, dyslexia and any sort of learning delay because it seems to wrapped up in it's been used as a therapy for a very long time but it hasn't always connected through to sort of an educational outcome It's kind of helped. We know that autism, remember I talked before about our eyes, our ears and our body, so auditory, visual and motor. We know that kids with autism, and there's lots of versions of autism, but some of them have an overactive connection between their eyes and their ears, which means there's an underactive connection sort of between ears and body and body and vision. So what music learning may be doing is helping to even out that activity around that little triangle I always think about. And that may be assisting kids with autism. Same thing with ADHD, slightly different. Same triangle, but the information that's going around that triangle is mistimed, meaning it sort of misfires every once in a while, um, which makes concentration, keeping your attention and your inhibitory control, impulse control really hard to do because you're kind of getting these, these mistimings around the triangle. Music learning, particularly playing drums, is a fantastic way of helping that mistiming to kind of settle itself out and get more in sync. So there's all these different things we're now understanding. We knew they worked, we just didn't know why, and now we're starting to understand the why. The book that you've written, which is called The Music Advantage, collates a whole heap of mm. brain music research. What are some of your favourite studies and discoveries that you researched in the book oh they're all my favorites i love the research about beat they looked at kids between the age of three and four who could keep a steady beat and they called those kids synchronizers and then they followed those kids through they had a hunch that keeping a beat was connected to reading development so they then followed those kids through to when they began their reading journey and the kids who could synchronize between three and four they had a normal experience when they started reading. But those kids who couldn't synchronise between three and four, couldn't keep a steady beat, really struggled with their reading. And what I love about the research is we've got a window of opportunity between the age of four and five to find these kids who are non-synchronisers and to do lots and lots of music and beat activities with them to encourage their brain to make the connections they need to then start reading at the age of five in a really sort of successful and a normal progress. To me, that's the best, that's my favourite one because it's just so easily applicable 
costs nothing and just has to be about recognizing what beat keeping actually is an indication of in the brain. So that's one of them. I think some of my other ones are at the other end of the spectrum about kids who when they finish school, if they're done music all the way through for a significant amount of time are at least one year ahead in English, maths and science on their standardized tests. And that kind of, that kind of outcome sets those kids up for life. And I just... I would love to see every one of our students graduating from school ready to take on the world in any way they can, but with the best cognitive foundations we can give them. What's your take-home advice and or try this at a home advice for parents? <laughs> I think every, every music environment in a household is different, but part of it is that variety of music and interacting with the music is really important. Not being afraid of singing with your child and to your child, but also doing clapping games and and exploring sound and just watching them, watching them figure out how sound works and how sound informs them. Another really great one I love is some kids, well, most kids struggle with the tone in their voice. I've always heard at least a parent often say, don't take that tone with me or don't be rude or watch out how you said that. That's musical. That's a musical thing that kids can't hear the melody of what they've said and then can't interpret it for its emotional meaning. I used to do this great thing with my daughter that we used to have what we called prosody or prosody conversations. No words. We just used to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she would say, mm, mm, mm. And I go, mm, mm, mm. And then we'd keep having this funny conversation. Then it started with all these facial expressions and all sorts of things. But it allowed her to practice different ways of using melody with speech without the words. And then when she said something and it wasn't quite said in the right tone, I could say, can you use exactly the same words, but say them with a different tone? And she'd think about it and she'd practice it in her head. And then she'd try it again. And it's just helped her with her communication skills. So I think the connection between language and music is really important. But also seeing music everywhere, hearing music everywhere, hearing rhythms. When we go across the street and we push the pedestrian crossing and we hear the tick, 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 and then making a rhythm up with that as well. So just having fun with sound and exploring sound together and not being worried about it ourselves being comfortable with music and understanding it's for every child, I think is the most important message. It doesn't have to be Beethoven or Mozart or Bach. I think no. Bach get a lot of studies done about his music. It can be Taylor Swift. Well, let's say, how about we do some Taylor Swift followed by some Bach? That would be what I would suggest. Is it's not one type of music. It's all the different styles of music and letting kids have time to not love it or hate it straight away, but just to go, just let's just listen and see what we can hear. Is it too late to get started? No, never. That's the other, that's the next book, <laughs> 18 <laughs> onwards. <laughs> there, there's so much research about how beneficial it is for adults to start, even if you've never learned a musical instrument and how great it can be for our cognitive health and maintaining that through our lives, as well as relieving stress and as well as creating very, very strong social bonds, which then transfer into our actual immune health as well. When you're an adult, I think it's a really good mindfulness activity to be aware of yourself and to aware of how you learn and when you're frustrated and what you feel like doing and you almost become a child again. Mm. And I think that's actually really powerful to go, okay, just a couple of minutes a day really reminds us and connects us back to ourselves. And I think that's really important. Dr. Anita Collins is neuromusical educator, adjunct professor at the University of Canberra 
And I tell you what, after hearing her talk about the importance of music, I'm going to start some loud sing-alongs in the car to see where that gets us. Dr. Anita was also part of the ABC TV program, Don't Stop the Music, which looked at the importance of learning music in schools. And I will put a link to that program online. If you're interested in checking out the Baby Talk archives, there's also a great podcast about the Lullaby Project, and I'll put a link on the Baby Talk webpage. If you know of someone who could use this information, you can also share this podcast. These days you can tweet it, text it, message it on Facebook. It's ridiculously easy. And there are a heap of great podcasts that will suit almost every stage and age of your baby's development. Just last week, we spoke to Dr. Vincent Ho, who's a paediatric gastroenterologist, about possibly the furthest thing from music, and that's baby gut bacteria. The biggest influences of a young child's gut microbiota, which is the population of microbes in the gut, is actually the stopping of breastfeeding and the introduction of solid foods. So there's actually, the as a proportion of influencing their gut microbiota, stopping breastfeeding and introducing solid foods has by far the greatest impact upon their gut microbial population. If you've got a baby in your life, maybe you could even subscribe to the Baby Talk podcast. Baby Talk, one word, is what it takes to find in your search engine. And if you subscribe on iTunes or the ABC Listen app, you will not miss an episode. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Digital Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.